Hey, my name is Marisol. I'm a first year and I'm one of the co-hosts of season four of the Empowering First Voices. And today I have three other co-hosts with me that will be sharing their experiences as Emory students and now I'll have them introduce themselves. Yeah. Hey, everyone. My name is Arturo. I'm a fifth year uh, studying Latin American Caribbean Studies and happy to be one of the co-hosts for this season. And I'll pass it off to Emily. Hey, everyone. I'm Emily. I'm a fourth year and I'm so excited for this season. Um, Thank you for tuning in. Hey guys, my name is Bada. I am a junior studying psychology on the pre-med track. And yeah, I'm so glad you guys are listening. So just quick introductions of ourselves. So again, my name is Arturo. I'm a fifth year studying Latin American Caribbean studies and Spanish with a minor in business. And my first gen experience or like identity is tied to being like first gen American, meaning like my parents are Mexican immigrants from Jalisco and Colima um, and also being a first gen college student. Hi, everyone. My name is Emily. I am a fourth year in the college studying chemistry and sociology. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm from Texas, but my parents are originally from Michoacan, Mexico. So my first gen identity is also being the first one to go to college, but also being the first gen American. Hello, my name is Bada. Um, I'm from Nashville, Tennessee, but um, my background is um, I'm a small American first-gen college student. I'm a psychology um, major on the pre-med track, and yeah. Hey, this is Marisol. I'm majoring in nursing. Well, I'm on the pre-nursing track. I am a first-year. Uh, my mom is from Monterrey, Nuevo León, and we live in the suburbs of Chicago. Um, but you said you were from Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. Um, can I ask, like, how was that, like, growing up, in, like, in the South? So what's very interesting is up until maybe like high school, my schools were predominantly black and um, Hispanic. It was only when my middle school teacher told my parents that, hey, your daughter's really smart. You should put her into one of the magnet schools and apply for it that I went to a predominantly white high school. Um, So I would say my more formative years, I was spent around other minority students and then my high school like career was more like in white spaces and then it made me realize like how white Nashville is and even like how America is I feel like sometimes we get into our heads about like how the spaces that we like commonly occupy is what the world looks like but in reality it's so so different and that's what made Emory so interesting like coming in I honestly didn't it was just so different seeing all the different people from all types of like walks of life um I met so many international students people from like countries that like I had honestly never even thought of so yeah honestly same like I guess the reality of like growing up like with underrepresented people like your community and then like once you transition somewhere different like Emory it's like I don't want to say culture shock because I, I don't think white is a culture shock. <laughs> um, but it was a it was a shock, I would say. Um, but what were like, Marisa, like, what was your experience like growing up? Like um, you said in Chicago and then like coming here. Well, in my community, it was predominantly Hispanic. So I grew up around a lot of people that looked like me, spoke my language. So coming here to Emory was very different. Um as Bada said, it was a shock to see so many different people from all over the world. And it was just interesting to meet 
these different people know and learn their culture is so you know and you what's it called and what part of chicago were you like grow up grew up in um i'm from the suburbs so i live in a very small town that most people don't even know of i'm from north lake but i live to a neighboring community that is predominantly white um it is a very rich community i would say it's a community where there are a lot of hospitals a lot of great high-paying jobs so i feel like they would know that area more it's elmhurst <laughs> nice i come from a small town too or i don't think i mentioned this but i'm from south carolina um from a small town called rich spring so it's basically it's an agricultural town and like demographic there's I don't want to say equally split, but it's like one third Hispanic, majority Mexican, one third white, and then one third black. Um, and that kind of like reflected my school too. That's where like coming to college where like back home, it was like two thirds of the population of my school demographic were like underrepresented or minorities. And then coming here, it was like the majority, like the ma it shifted, like the whites were the majority. Um, but then I kind of knew like growing up, like this is a white town. Um, yeah. And what about you, Emily? I would say that I grew up in a growing city. Oh, okay. Um, so even right now, the landscape is shifting. But when I was like in middle school and elementary school and high school, I went to my neighborhood, everything. My neighborhood, elementary school, my neighborhood, middle school, my neighborhood, high school. Um, and what that meant was that I was surrounded by a lot of like Mexican students. So I would say like around 87% were Mexican. And then like the rest, 13 was like split between like white, um, black people. And then there weren't many Asian students in our class. I think Bada said something about like, you start thinking about the world based on where you grew up in. And I felt like I had internalized like the world as like a Mexican mm. everything. <laughs> then coming to Emory, that was like the biggest shock because even like Latinx students, we come from everywhere. And yeah, I just think it's really eye-opening like going into like predominantly white spaces, but also spaces where you are forced to learn about other cultures. And it's like not a bad thing, you know? Yeah. Honestly, too, like the first time, not the first time, but like there weren't any Asian students in my school either. Um, so, like, first time ever going to school, Asian students was, like, Emory as well. Yeah. And, like, as we're talking, like, about, like, where we're coming from, I want to transitioning, like, we're talking about home, but then now we're, like, how we transition to college. Um, so, how was that college application for all of you senior year? For me, it was, I live with my grandmother, and she um, had a middle school education at most. So, when it came to applying for college, she um, didn't know, I didn't know, so I relied on heavily on my counselor to help me understand how do I apply for college what do I need like what documents what do I need to submit um how to apply for my FAFSA my uh CSS profile all that the college application process was like a long time ago in my head but what was it like three three years three, ago three years ago that feels like a lifetime ago but it's not that far so I Honestly, because I went to a high school that was like a magnet school, which I don't know if like it's a familiar term, but basically in our like state, there's public schools and then magnet schools are still publicly funded, but you needed to like have certain like standardized testing scores. You needed to have certain GPA, 
and then you had to apply and then be put inside a, um, a lottery system if you like qualified and you had all those qualifications i think new york has something a lot more intense than that like they apply for like middle high school like everything that that to me is scary so um in nashville it's not that bad but um i definitely came from a high school of like privilege i just remember um it's kind of a, a new train of thought but i just remember taking my act at my local high school and seeing how run down the like tables were the classrooms were the clocks weren't working i was so frustrated about that I was taking my math act and then i could not tell like how much time i had left but you know that came from a place of privilege because um my high school was so well funded it was located in the center of downtown on broadway um any we just had a lot of money coming in and i because we had a lot of money coming in we had a lot of like resources when it came to um, college applications so they very they instilled in it in us as like freshmen that like this school produces students who go to high achieving like colleges um so obviously i i definitely see my privilege but i don't come from like a lot of privilege either so I, it was definitely like utilizing all my resources and i was very grateful for my counselor in that she saw a lot in me and she helped navigate the college process for me very early on um every every few months she would like come and talk to me and do like a check-in be like oh your grades are good i think you should do a b and c how are you feeling um very 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 grateful to miss sanford for all that she did um she introduced me to Questbridge, and my college application process started a lot early on than like most of my peers um if you're watching this, I definitely think you should check out Questbridge. Um, I was a college prep scholar as a junior, and then senior year, I applied to be a um, a Questbridge like finalist. And the college application process is like a lot different once you do it through Questbridge. Um, so I knew that I got into Emory in December. I think it was like December first that I got my decision and. With getting into Emory, like, I got a full ride. So, like, I didn't have to, like, pay anything. And it was binding, so I had to attend Emory. Not that it's a bad thing, but, um, yeah, my college application process was very, very different than the um, average student. And if you're watching this, you should definitely check out QuestBridge. Their website is so, so, like, um, detailed about the process. I was going to ask, like, talking about, because it's kind of similar. Mine was to QuestBridge, too. Um, so you were a... Uh a match yes nice um i can like now i can go ahead and talk about my like my quest bridge thing or like my application process in my mexican household like i knew i wanted to go to college i didn't want to work like like le these blue collar jobs like my parents so it was like at a young age i was like i'm going to college um and then in high school because i told one my spanish teacher i think a few hand selected teachers were very more leftist because we were like in a conservative town and so they saw like students of color to like see college. But honestly, a lot of the things about for art, like I come from a, what's it called? A title one school, meaning that like 80% of the student population like are, is low, in, low income and that we have like free and or reduced lunch. And so I feel like that reflected much of the school. Like we didn't have the resources where there was only one guidance counselor for like my school population for everything was 250, like 250 people or students. And I was like, well, respectfully, my guidance counselor has a lot going on, so let me find someone who can help me. And that was my Spanish teacher, 
who kind of told me about Questbridge. Um, I didn't know where it was. I was like skeptical about it because I was like, um, you're really paying for a fool, right? <laughs> so I was like, um, but I still applied. I, I did the Quest prep, but I didn't get into Quest prep. So I applied for it, but didn't get it. And then I didn't submit my um, application request until the day of um, it was due. Honestly, yeah, for me, the college, I just should say this first. The college application process for me was like really quick. Um, it was like senior year. I just had to like, I was trying to get out. And also like balancing like extracurricular activities and then work. So I was like, I'm going to do what I can do. And then thankfully I did get into, I was a finalist. Um, and as a finalist, um, you get to choose from like, you can apply to all 40 college partners like for free. And I was like, well, there we go. Like bet, then I'll just do that. And then I really didn't consider Emory. I didn't know what Emory was until my senior year of high school. Um, but that's because like my my teacher told me, was like, she said, like, oh, have you considered Emory? Because it's really close. It's in Atlanta, a great school. And they have the Oxford College. But I didn't apply to Oxford, but I should have now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, just because it's like the environment I came from in a small town, I think that would have been the perfect transition to Oxford and then Emory. Um, but yeah, that's how I ended up here. And then with the financial aid process, like the CS profile, CSS profile, FAFSA, that was so much. I was like, what kind? <laughs> I always joke about it because I was like, as a child of immigrants, you kind of have to do like already like transcribe all this document work, like at a young age. So this was like, all right, just filling the just filling the numbers. <laughs> but it was it was a lot. Like looking back at it, and how you said earlier, like it was it felt like such a long time ago. But I think to me, it was such a long time ago because it was like just so overwhelming that I just wanted to get it over with. And then I'm, I feel like I'm in the same process now again, applying for grad school, and I'm just like, damn. <laughs> Um, but Emily, I know like you're also Questbridge. You want to share your story of how you oh, got? Oh wow, are we all Questbridge? <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> oh, okay. Questbridge pulls through. So I also went to a Title One school. Um, everyone now has free and reduced lunch, and what that looked like it meant that there was one guidance counselor, and then one like support student that was like finishing up their like advising thing uh, from the local college. And so I also knew that I couldn't really rely on them because they were just giving me like the general information of like, oh, use Apply Texas. I'm from Texas. So like Apply Texas is like the hub for every Texas school that you can apply to. And we weren't really encouraged to apply to elite institutions. My AP literature teacher suggested Questbridge because two years back, a student had done it and they matched to Emory. So that's how I considered Emory too. I was mm. like, okay, like the student match, maybe Emory might be like in my scope or my range of like schools I could possibly get into. But my process was also very fast. Like it was like the turnaround time was like, submit this application, rank these schools and like you match or either you don't. And I didn't match. And when the when I didn't match, it felt like the end of the world. I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to like community college or I'm going to go to like a local state school. Um, but then March came around and I got into Emory and they provided like the best financial aid. And I was like, okay, I'm going to Emory. Um, but I would say it was hard navigating like an application where you don't know like what half the things mean. <laughs> and then an application that is in English, an ap application that talks about college. My parents only went to sixth grade, like up until sixth grade. That was, and this was an education that was received in Mexico. So their entire lives they've been working. And obviously, like also when you have a big family, like you can't really offer more guidance than like support. So I would say I had a lot of support from my parents. I just 
they didn't know what they were supporting, but they knew they were supporting mm-hmm. like a road to college. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, like if I can add to that, um, like the fact to like, at least my parents, like they said, I mean, if you go to college, at least for like my siblings and I, there was always like, if you're going to go to school after you like graduate high school, you have to pay for it. Emory provided like good financial, well, Questbridge and Emory like provided good financial aid. I was like, well, might as well. And then also you another thing you brought up was like this idea of like these schools that I can get into, like these elite schools, right? Like addressing that too is like how we're kind of like, I'm not sure if you guys like were in GT, like gifted and talented, but like programs were like, they're like, oh, because you're good grades, because you like meet standardized test scores, like are they good? We're going to put you in this and this like apply for college to elite schools. And like low key, that's to me, it was kind of like realizing now that was so toxic because it's like you're gearing us. Yeah, I guess you're preparing us. Yes. But also it's like, I I, I don't want to say I was forced into it because of course, like I chose to do it, but it was like, well, this is kind of the only way. But I also applied to like some state schools too. And I honestly think like my experience at Emory, I think I would have been happier at a state school than like mental, my mental health would have been much more better at, at a state school than, than coming here. And that's like, I'm just being completely honest because it's like, this is a private PWI that it's like, it's, it's toxic. Um, and snap, it's, snap, snap, <laughs> snap. Um, it's really toxic where it's like, it's so hard and then that you can't really, I mean, you try to navigate the best way you can. Um, and like as pretty much, I'm pretty sure like all of you, like you guys navigate it as best way you can, like with the best potential. Um, but it's hard, you know, like it really is like, so, like the thing too is like, especially like being first gen where it's like, if we're the first ones in our family to come to college, well, we don't know who like, who's like, who's there to help us. Like then we come here, we, the resources, one, you have to find them, which is hard Two, Sometimes it's like the resources aren't giving what they need to give. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely agree. I feel like with the amount of resources we have, like after you find them, uh, it's overwhelming. At some yeah. point. Do I turn to this or do I turn to that? Like, which one will give me the best, well, the best outcome for what I'm looking for? So, and props to y'all being Questbridge. Okay. Snaps. Honestly, yeah. Can we shout out, like, say what you want, but like, we did that shit with Questbridge. Quest, Questbridge helped us, but honestly, no. <laughs> we we did that here. here. Yeah. Exactly. Like, through all our hard work. Like, our hard work brought us here. Yeah. Or else we wouldn't have made it this far. I feel like a popular term that we like to use as first-gen students is access does not equal inclusion. And I would say that that's very, like, apparent in, like, a lot of the conversations and spaces we navigate, but also the resources. Mm-hmm. Um, not saying any names, <laughs> but sometimes the, the resources that are supposed to provide you financial aid are very hard fights mm-hmm. that take a mental toll. Definitely. Um, if anyone wants to add on that. I feel like the resources at Emory, it's just when they're there, they're hard to find. And then accessing them are, is also like equally as hard. Um, we had a conversation today in which we were talking about a service that I had no idea existed. And I find that conversation happening a lot with like my friends. They're like, oh, have you heard of such and such? I'm like, no. And, you know, I'm a junior. I feel like I should know what's happening on my campus. But yeah, a lot of the resources here, you have to like actively look and fight for. Yeah. And I think another like to just add this conversation too is like people say like, oh, the resources are here, you know, like they're there, but you have to go find them. But also it's like 
but I shouldn't be doing this in the first place. These yeah. resources should already have been here. That money that I need, that financial assistance that I need should already be in my package. So why am I wasting, like, disrespectfully, respectfully, why am I wasting my time? Like, the time I can be using for my academics to and or, like, to organize with the student orgs that I'm part of, I'm wasting, no, I don't want to see what, I don't, like, I'm now using that time to go find these resources, which they should have been provided for me in the first place. I think that's, like, a thing that really frustrates me. Yeah, like, Coming here as a first year, first gen, moved from Texas. It was COVID year. The expenses were high. Wages were low. Um, having to buy textbook access was insane. And I didn't even know who to go to. Um, but yeah, I feel like textbooks should be a given. Like No, period. Yeah. I do think certain professors are now seeing the barrier that textbooks hold and are trying to look for online resources and I definitely do applaud those professors but at the same time there's still professors who are assigning homework that you need to pay like $140 for and I think that's absolutely ridiculous no yeah I agree I just like like now you mentioning the fact like there's professors who acknowledge it shout out to the professors who do all their like readings with pdfs so it's like posted on canvas y'all really are the real ones because you're saving you're literally saving time for your students to like just not have to go out going out by the book or the text you just it's there um they're the real first gen allies no literally <laughs> and we're saving the planet too yeah. that part killing two words with one song sustainability sustainability i think what's it called another thing too like them being first gen allies some of them also like considering them like some of them are first gen themselves so i think like having them as what's it called like seeing them like and then seeing it like the they can see us like that visibility being there is so important because I'm like, honestly, the best experiences in my classes have always been with first gen professors um, and also to like professors of color. <laughs> so it's like professors of color and or first gen who are considered first gen because there are some professors of color who, who are not first gen, but it's still a great experience with them. Would you guys pick Emory again? <gasps> <gasps> dun, 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 dun. Uh, okay. Like, are you saying, like, hypothetically, if, like, going back to, like, the colleges I already applied to or any college in? So, knowing what you know now about Emory, if you go, can you, if you could go back to senior year, would you still apply and choose Emory? Mm. See, I don't want to say they really didn't have a choice. I think that choice was kind of, like, given, like, there, because it's, like. And if finances wasn't, like, a consideration. Honestly, I would be at USC right now. I would be living up in the city. No, NYU, USC, or Columbia. Um, and I say that, like, I know these are also elite schools, but I've realized, but then you said financial assistance isn't, like, that wasn't a limitation. But, like, in my reality that I've lived in for 22 years, finance is always going to be a thing. And I know, like, these private schools will offer that money. But honestly, if I didn't have to go to college, I wouldn't. <laughs> I would go, honestly, I wouldn't go to a, an academic school. I would go to an art school. I would be a Nepo baby. That sounds <gasps> so fun. Just having rich parents. Yeah. But would I choose Emory again? I think if you had asked me freshman year, I would say no. Mm -hmm. If you had asked me sophomore year, I'd say yes. And if you asked me this year, I would say no, unfortunately. Yeah. Why, why no this year? I think Emory does not do a good job of like supporting all their students especially with like 
the ongoing like the current climate I feel like our president of our university has definitely neglected their Muslim and Arab like student population you said what you said yeah and that's literally your identity yeah I think too now the question conversation comes into like play like these administrative leaders like (sighs) (laughs) I think it opens a conversation that these I think we need to question their politics um and how like their and their positions that they're in but also understanding why they got that position specifically um and not just like the president but also like other administrators as well yeah there's a lot of like hidden curriculums that we don't know about um and i feel like as you grow older in your college and in your class here you start to like unpack a lot of things that actually go down at your university. You see, like, especially when you become involved as a student leader on campus, um, I think it's challenging because I would say that if you had asked me first year, I wouldn't pick Emory again. Like, it was a very isolating experience going through COVID. Um, then my second and third years, I met some of my very best friends and I would do Emory for them again. Mm -hmm. But now, like, as a student leader, as a first-gen student leader, I would say that you have to pick battles that should not be fought, you know? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. Protect your peace, love. (laughs) (laughs) Protect your peace always. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, too, because it's, like, not only, like, these when you're involved in student orgs, like, you're campus leaders, that's something, like, I want to emphasize, too, is the fact like we're not just students like we're organizers we're also educators as sometimes if we're not volunteering to tutor like we have to educate people who like allies or like people who don't know what's going on right what else are we we're activists like we're all of this stuff we're employees we're employees literally and like we're all this and it's like it's so much yeah i think a false misconception i think as a first gen student that i thought was like oh this is a reality you don't realize how much of yourself you invest into your college like you Mm. don't realize how much of your identity is fluid and also changes based on your responsibilities so yeah i especially feel that when we're on like winter break and during breaks and you just are like released from that responsibility then you realize how much of your identity is just solidified in your like college career and the responsibilities you hold on campus yeah but then also we're holding responsibilities virtually with our parents back home with our younger siblings with our family members no yeah definitely for me i don't know if you also like go through this but my mom is always like oh like why aren't you calling so often i just want to see how you're doing but then again it's like i'm investing time in myself and in my academics I feel like I don't have enough time to, like, call my mom that's, like, who knows how many miles away and ask her, like, oh, like, how are my siblings? Like, you know, are they still getting along? Like, how are their grades and everything? Because that's what I was, I guess, my responsibility at home, like, making sure my siblings were on top of everything, making sure that I was a good role model for them. But I feel like, like you said, the responsibilities change once you're on campus, like you're relieved from some at home but like you gain new responsibilities and it's like it all changes once you go back for winter break like I have this identity that's always changing and I feel like I know myself when I'm on campus but is that an identity that 
my family will accept when I'm going back home. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, if anyone wants to jump on that. No, yeah, I was gonna say there's this thing I saw on Twitter where it was like you go to your parents encourage you to go to college, like get an education, but then when you come back and question like everything, then it's like that's bad. You know, mm-hmm. in terms of like calling parents my freshman year was so horrible like i was very homesick every single day and i called my mom once a day for sure some days twice a day and it was only through those phone calls that i think i was able to get through that first like semester so i definitely did rely so heavily on my mom's virtual presence so i do think sometimes um the relationship you hold with your parents can still be very, very important. And I definitely encourage people to prioritize that because I feel like looking at how often I call my parents now, now that I'm like more established, it's very, it's not, it's not enough, definitely. And I'm probably going to call my parents right after this (laughs) now that I'm thinking about it. I don't think I talked to my mom in like a week and that's really bad Mm. for me. So I because I feel like once we're on Emory's campus, it's like this bubble. Like that yes. Emory bubble exists. So and real. if you want to leave campus, you have to have like the intention to leave campus. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like on that note, I feel like Emory definitely advertises its campus falsely. Like I was under the impression that <laughs> we were like close to atlanta but no that's a that's a 20 dollars uber if you want to go to atlanta Mm -hmm. so like leaving campus is very hard so you're just in this bubble of like academic stress this next thing this club event this next thing so yeah from that note that you made like the entire conversation just want to point out call your call your parents yeah call your loved ones um because i think it's very much needed yeah I think maintaining those relationships is so important, especially as you go back every break and you're realizing that you can have different support systems. You can have someone that you call for when you need help on your chemistry test. You can call someone who can give you the right words like your mom, like or someone, a hometown friend that will tell you and update you about what's going on back home. Um, I think it's important to cultivate those relationships, even though you might be gone from home. Yeah, if I can add this part, I think too, at least from my experience, also, I think it's like more setting like the boundaries with your parents or family too, because like I didn't explore much of like my queer expression or identity until I got to college. And then going back home, it's just like, it's not the same. And like, I've cultivated friends and family here, like like family, but not like family, I would call them family here in Atlanta, um, where I'm able to like accept it for who I am. So it's like, I don't, maybe that's just a different reality for me. Where it's like, yes, and I, I contact my family, like, hey, how are y'all? Like, I would say like twice a week. But I've learned, too, that I just have to set my boundaries and how I how I am with, like, quote, unquote, like, my lifestyle. Um, and I think it's just, like, it goes back to just setting boundaries with the people you love in order to connect with them even more, for sure. Okay, so I'm a first year. And you guys are upperclassmen. So what are some successes and what are some things that you guys do outside of class? So successes, we're going to have to come back to that. (laughs) But in terms of what I like to do out of class, I feel like my freshman year, it was very hard for me to find things that I really enjoyed doing and that weren't like things I thought I should be doing. So that took a hot minute. But by sophomore year, I realized I really, really like children. Like I love Mm -hmm. working with children. So 
every single week, I go tutor um, children at a nearby elementary or middle school. And a lot of times it's like Title One. Is that what it's called? Title One mm-hmm. schools. And the kids are like English language learners. Um, but they're very sweet. And it's, it's a very humbling experience because, um, fun fact, I actually was an English language learner student, but I was born in America. I don't know, T. They, I, I, my... My thing is, I'm pretty sure that schools get more money with, oh. like, the more students that they put into these ELL classes. That explains and a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I knew English very well. It was my first language. Like, I was, like, simultaneously speaking Somali or English. And, like, I had to, like, fight to get out of those classes. They were, like, simultaneously t- testing me for, like, the gifted students in while being in an ELL class and the contradiction is like absolutely crazy. Like which one, which one is it? But um, in terms of what I love to do, I love to give back to my community. So that's definitely something that I do. I tutor every single week. I actually have a shift tomorrow morning at <laughs> 8 a.m. If I'm going to wake up is a different question. Um, I'm also on a pre-health track. So I do volunteer a lot um, in that atmosphere and I'm in a lot of orgs, I'm not going to lie. I'm also a black mental health ambassador. So that's like under CAPS. And, you know, CAPS isn't perfect, but they're trying. And CAPS is the um, <laughs> counseling and, and psychological, psychological services. services. They do have POC um, counselors, too. And that's definitely an option that you can choose from. And um, a lot of people don't know this, but timely care is completely free. no insurance timely care is free see and i found that out sophomore year i'm telling you like you if you want to find these resources you got to go look for them okay wait because i don't know how like true this is but i've heard it's only free until like after like once once you reach your 12th like so hmm. that's caps um so allegedly someone told me this yesterday but they said that caps like now we have unlimited like sessions in caps Mm -hmm. But CAPS is, like, you know where the bio building is? Yes. They have their, like, that's their headquarters. <laughs> and they have, like, their thera- like therapist and providers there. But um, Timely Care is through Emory. And basically, you can either, like, virtually see a therapist and talk to them. Or you could, like, pick, like, an in-person option. And those are unlimited, I'm pretty sure. Like, so while I don't think like CAPS is like a perfect system, I do think they're getting better every single year and it's free. So you're literally not losing anything. Go ahead and try it. Um, but yeah, I'm a black mental health ambassador and they work with us and we just like promote like mental health care and like, you know, learning more about yourself and taking care of yourself. Okay, but how do we feel about Emory's service in the residence halls? What do you mean? Like, do you guys not like, struggle with that what, what do you what mean like what, dorms? what services like, like the service like oh like, like generals like like cell service yeah oh, t- oh, yeah, oh. Girl, that's the whole conversation <laughs> do you have t-mobile yes oh my god t-mobile it's so bad in atlanta they don't work together no they don't <laughs> Just, and they're here like promoting like we have cell towers everywhere where are they at though <laughs> exactly i would that's why i mostly use i'm not using my data i'm not gonna lie i only use emory's wi-fi that is very much for when i'm outside mm-hmm no, but, like, in my dorm, like, it doesn't work in specific places. Like, I have to be on my bed to, like, oh, make dang. a phone call. Oh. Like, I had to, like, call the, um, I had to call it the airline so for, like, a plane trip. But, like, they couldn't hear me for, like, a good, 
10 minutes. Wait, where do you live? I live in Terman on the fifth floor. Oh, girl, <laughs> you're saying too much. You'll cut this out. You're going to tell us your um, room number, room social, number security. social security. Oh, might as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm listening. <laughs> um, um, I want to go back to your comment of like two things or one note. One, honestly, we're in a healing era. If, that, if that's free, I need no, everyone to like, if you're considering it, like honestly, mental health as a college student at Emory is a lot. And I think a lot of things need to be unpacked. So... This is not sponsored by Timely Care Caps, but they are services. And also, I want to have their headquarters in Fort Worth. <laughs> oh, okay, oh. but and then I want to also ask, like, communities you're involved with, how is the Somali slash and or the Somali American community like here at Emory? Okay, so when I was a freshman, I was so fortunate enough that a senior took me in under her wing, and she very much like guided me through like what Emory was. Like, I remember meeting her, like. The first few days and she gave me her number she was like hey if you ever need anything let me know also my sophomore advisor which we call at emory our essays she was also somali and you know what's actually crazy guys i had no idea who she was like i had no idea she was my sa when i met when someone introduced me to her i found out that we knew each other during childhood oh, we went what? to like the same like little sunday school like she lives in minnesota i live in nashville before she moved to minnesota she lived in nashville and I was talking to my mom about her, and I, like, mentioned her name and her last name. And my mom was like, yeah, I know her parents. Bruh. And I was like, that's crazy that she's down the, like, the, down the hall by me. Yeah. 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 And she also kind of, like, took me in under her wing. But, like, I think coming in as a freshman, I think there was, like, three other Somali people. Mm-hmm. Three is so, so small. Mm-hmm. Now, as a senior... For some crazy reason, there's at least like four or five like Somali freshmen, and it makes me so so happy. But um, so I just try to. Did I say as a senior? Yeah. Oh my as god, a that's crazy. <laughs> as a junior, we getting you getting there. We getting there. No, I don't want to graduate. <laughs> but um, yeah, like I kind of want to give that energy that I was like given when I was a freshman to these current like freshmen, mm-hmm. but like the Somali community isn't big here in Atlanta or at Emory. And it, it kind of makes me sad because when I am in Nashville, like I'm just surrounded by the Somali community. I'm surrounded by Boston, Paris, all the food that we eat. Like it's very much so, so normal to me. Like I was um, like talking earlier about how like my freshman year, I hated the DCT. Like I could not stand a DCT. It was so flavorless. It's a food court. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's a glamorized food court. It's not even it's not even a food court. And I remember coming back home with winter break and I had lost so much weight. People were talking about the freshman 15. That was a freshman 15 deduction for me. Like Bracing. I was struggling. And then like spring semester, I was like, Bada, you cannot be picky or else you're literally going to die of starvation. Um, so I had to just you know, eat, eat for like nourishment and not necessarily like pleasure. But in, like, living on Claremont now with Empowering First, which, by the way, we live in some we nice... We love Empowering First. <laughs> we live in some nice-ass apartments, too. Um, I get to make my own food. I get to eat whatever I want, and I think I am flourishing. Just, like, the the options I have and, you know, being able to cook what I want is just so much nicer than just going into the DCT and praying that one thing is edible for me. Mm-hmm. And also, if you have dietary restrictions, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Disclaimer. I wanted to ask that person you knew or one of the people you knew was it Suwad? She was one of them, but the because no because when I was a freshman she was a junior. Okay. But um, I don't know if you know her, Munira. 
No. She went to Oxford for two years. No, I did not know that. Yeah, but Sarad, she's literally amazing. She's living her best life right now. Period. Love her. I would say that success is that I've gotten here. I've gotten Period. this far with my chem major. Almost year. done. Yo, no, let's talk about that. How are you? <laughs> like, how are you major? doing that? Chemistry is crazy. At Emory, I was I'm crying. Surviving a semester, like hello. I was crying every single day for chem. It was like, a lot of crying. It was a lot of tears. It was a lot of mental battles without caps. We said Latinas oh instead. Latinas period. period. Hey, but you can do it with caps too. <laughs> you can do those sessions. Um, so I'd say that my successes are getting this far, but also building a community. Like, that's the biggest thing for me. Like, knowing that there's someone that's, like, backing me up, whether that be through Empowering First, whether that be through the Latinx Student Organization. Um, I feel like I've built a community of people that really back me up and, like, have helped me flourish over the years, have helped me grow as a student, as an individual. Um, but... I am really involved in the admissions team. Um, so my my title, my job title is an impact fellow. But as this, we create like programming for like prospective high school students that are from like first generation, low income, underrepresented backgrounds. And I feel like that's been one of the most like rewarding things that I've done here because like we've flown in prospective high school students and just having the opportunity to mentor and hear these voices, hear these, hear this excitement, um, just planning that was such a huge success for me. It just showed that, like, I really am Honestly, for the community. Wait, I'm gonna be like, you literally organized lead. Yeah, lead. So, did it already happen? Yeah. Where did they sleep? Oh, they were hosted by Emory students. So shout out, shout out all the hosts. But also, if you're a high school student, incoming high school student. Uh, or senior in high school, um, apply to Leeds Leadership yeah. Enrichment Advocacy and Discovery Did, at Emory. Wait, wait, so back to where they slept. Did they sleep on the floor? No, they have sleeping bags. <laughs> so, on the, so on the floor. <laughs> on a sleeping bag. <laughs> on the floor. Cut the show. <laughs> wait, I think it's so, so interesting that people volunteered for that. Yes, it's like a very rewarding program, especially as you get to know these like high achieving students and like realize and like, you get to share your knowledge, but also you learn a little from them. It's the next yeah. generation. Were they living on Claremont or no? Yeah, it was like Claremont, like on all campus, over campus, all over campus. But let's also talk about the fact that Emory can't afford the hotel rooms. They can. Ooh, so, controversial. Like 81000 per student. Like, where's that money? Exactly. <laughs> and it's like, awesome, but I just want to like say- $11 like, billion dollar endowment. Like I was going to say, you were the one, like one of the people to like organize this. So like special yeah. shout out to you. Emily shout out to my boss. Uh, Lupe, but also shout out to Claudia, shout out to Tim, shout out to everyone and the impact team that really made this possible. I feel like, you know, um, but we also do a fly in for admitted students. So they mm. get to, we show them the Emory culture and then they get to like decide and commit. But we do very intentional programming. Like we want to make sure these students like feel welcome. They feel like there's an opportunity to be an Emory student, you know, like we kind of give them a run of show of what things could be like. And I feel like as first-gen students, but also with our intersectional identities, we tend to run in the same circles. Mm -hmm. We tend to like be in the same identity spaces. We tend to have experiences with the same professors who back us up. And like, I think that's like one of the biggest things about coming to Emory. Like you have to like build your community. Yeah. 
I think it's so interesting that this year we have our own like identity space. What do you mean, like the in center? I mean, center. As Emery first. Emery first. Oh, sorry, girl. <laughs> I thought you meant something. I was like, what do you mean? Oh no, yeah, Emery. This is the first time that we do have that. You're so yeah. right. Yeah. So you walk in, and then supposedly everyone in the the room is first, first gen. Person. Supposedly, yeah. I mean, like people study where they want to study. True. I don't know if that's controversial. But there's honestly, let's talk about that because I feel like there's a. A version is such a broad term. It is. Yeah. Um, what do you guys, what's your guys' opinion on professionalism? Because a lot of people are like, <laughs> it's white coded. It is white coded. It's white coded. The tattoos, the hair, yeah. like being presented in a certain way. Like, why do we need professionalism? You said what you said. I don't know. <laughs> Even navigating Emory. Emory, Emory yes. yeah. As a visibly different student. No, yeah. honestly, too, I was a business student once upon a time. <laughs> <laughs> And I couldn't do, I remember I did my hair, like dyed it. And then before my presentation, final presentation, I like dyed it black again to give that presentation. And then this, I only did this too, because it was like, I'm a humanities major now. I'm professors. I feel like when you're a humanities, professors are more like lenient. And they just vibe with it. Because I also have professors too, who like do like, They're creatives. They're creatives, literally. I think it's a great outlet. And I think like professionalism kills creativity. That's just my opinion. I feel like it just creates this mold that everyone has to fit into. Yeah. I think the Emory first space right now is reeks of professionalism. <laughs> We're getting there. We're getting to We're that getting creative there. place. They're working on it. They're yeah. working on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it was a last minute decision though, right? To even <laughs> open tea. up. Yeah, because I remember there was a sticker. Before they put the plaque up, it was like a sticker on like the, the little navigation directory. It was supposed route. to be an intersectional space, I think. Oh. What does that even mean? Because I, I feel like all the identity spaces are pretty intersectional, so. Yeah. White well, people. <laughs> I don't know. Oh. I don't know oh. what that means. To segue into mine, I like success. I think I did, I, my, like my epiphany, I'm like, oh shit, I did this. Like my defining moment was always studying abroad. I got to study abroad through the business school in Paris and was studying something that's like not offered here whatsoever, but I was interested in, which was fashion. I got to work for Dolce & Gabbana and take fashion courses. And I was like, bruh, like I literally, like I'm one, I also manifested it, but I, was, I also had a, I remember I tweeted too, I was like, I need to give myself props. Cause it's like a Latino from the rural South Carolina actually did this and not just like with Emery's like money, I mean Emery's money, yeah, like financial aid, but also as a Gilman. Shout out to Gilman. If you do receive Pell Grant, apply to Gilman because and if you're gonna study abroad, because they give you a good amount of money. Um, but that was like my epiphany moment. I was like, I, I did it, and at that moment too, I kind of felt guilty. I don't know why, because I was like, I think as a first gen student, you always have this sense of guilt, or like maybe it's like imposter syndrome too, or like a a thing of both. Um, where I was like, I. I I told myself, like, you don't deserve this. But it's like, no, you you did that shit, you know? You did it the best way you can. It's also acknowledging... I mean, there's a book called The Privileged Poor, where it's like, once oh, you come to these the elites... The doubly disadvantaged and the yeah. privileged poor. Like, when you come to these elite spaces... At least for me, when I came to this elite school, I didn't start recognizing the privileges that I had into, like, my second year. During, the like, the pandemic when it hit. Um, because I was like, it's time to think, you know? And it's like, wow. Like, I need to, like, be... I don't want to say... Yes, I'm grateful for it, but also, like, I don't know how to describe it. Like, I am grateful, 
but there should be open to more than just me. Like, why am I the only first gen student from my school to like to have this kind of like privilege to come here to have these access to opportunities? Um, but yeah, and then I want to touch on something what Emily said too, like that they about making community. Thankfully for me, I was able to make community both on campus and outside campus. Um, I think it really helped me out a lot, especially as I was like navigating like what I want to do with my life. I came in pre-med. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> then pre-business and then business. Um, but I realized like that was not for me. That's not what I want to do. And I honestly still don't know, still don't know what I want to do. Um, but as I graduate, I want, I think I know in the future, like I want to be a creative, like a director in some sort, work with cultural productions, study that, become a professor, and then be like the professors who kind of taught me in college. Because I didn't have my first like Latina professors until, like not professors, educators, like from K to 12, I didn't have a Latina like educator until my third year of college. I was like, damn, it took that long to finally find someone like who can like culturally relate to me. Um, and yeah. I want to touch on two things mm -hmm. because you mentioned study abroad and um, you mentioned, what else did you mention? I had it right I here. You mentioned right here. Um, let's talk about study abroad first and opportunities like that. I know that yours was funded, mm -hmm. but for a lot of the study abroad opportunities, you have to pay out of pocket. So how do you guys feel about programs, opportunities, and stuff like that, that you have to pay for, thousands even, to attend, to apply even for, like, there's an application fee for some of the things that you need to even do. How do you feel and how do you feel, how do you, like, what's your opinion on the effect this might have on low-income and first-generation students? I think, oh. Are you a match scholar? Yes. I'm pretty sure it's that they, free. yeah, it's like completely free if yeah. you do it during the school year, but that's like I so think you even hard. get a refund. Yeah, but yeah. like my thing is you're a nursing student, right? Oh. You would need to do it like next year if you wanted to study abroad because you cannot study abroad during the nursing school. It's mm -hmm. two like consecutive like years of like grinding. Mm -hmm. um, and if you do study abroad during the summer, I think they treat you like normal students. So. Mm -hmm. They'll like match your financial aid to like a certain extent, but you'd be paying quite a bit out of pocket. So yeah, if you do want to study abroad, I think you should do it next year, which is like a yeah. quick turnaround time. Mm -hmm. Like I'm still kind of deciding if I want to study abroad. Next. Do it. <laughs> Sorry. And, but it's going to be like senior year. Oh. Mm -hmm. If like my if biggest my, regret. Yeah. If my schedule can work itself out, I would. I don't know. Um, but you're also pre-med. so. I know. It's so sad. What about if you do during the summer? But, like, I feel like I could just go somewhere in the summer. Like, why would I... Want to study. Study and yeah. then mm. pay and then do courses when I could do that in my own time. Valid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it, it is, like, quite inflated. But you also could just apply to scholarships, like you said. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how do you guys feel about the identities you have now? Like, the ones that you have shaped and have been influenced by the people around you here on campus and away from home? Wait, do, can you say that first part again? Do you say identities? Mm -hmm, like your own like self-identity that you've like constructed and has been influenced. I feel like my identity has been fluid over the years. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm constantly changing. I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly like relearning things that I thought were solid and like me, solid chemistry, <laughs> uh, that were solid and like very established. But no, I feel like you just keep growing 
with every experience that you have. Mm-hmm. It's very liquid. Liquid. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's really important to point out because I feel like someone, like a student may come in knowing who they are, what they want, what they want to achieve. But then once that all changes, it feels like, oh my God, it's the end of the world. <laughs> it's like, but it's not. <laughs> exactly. It's not. It's okay. It's like that Taylor Swift lyric. Um, what is it like? How do you know everything at 18, at 22? That's how I feel, even though I'm like 20. Like, I feel like I thought I knew more about myself at 18 than I know about myself now. Like, I'm still very much confused about what I want for myself in the future. So I also feel like my identity is ever changing. And I and it's so, so like dependent on like what my course load, what the things I'm going through Mm -hmm. are looking like. Yeah, my identity changes all the time. And I don't even know who I will be when I graduate or who I will be in like 10 years. Like, I think I'm a different person every single day, honestly. <laughs> What's your sign? <laughs> I'm a Gemini. Yo! <laughs> <laughs> makes sense. I'm a Gemini rising, so I get you. Um, For me, I think I would like say the same thing. It's very much like always changing. I think, but also to like identity, identities, it's a social construct and it's imagined. And like similar to the fact like when I'm in courseworks, like especially this year, I'm in diff- like more, um, what's it called? Like ethnic studies kind of courses where we talk about these ideas of identity um, and how they're like social, like, like I said, socially constructed and how they're ever like changing. You're, and it's like the the one you put on, I think now, and I think for the last um you're not last for the entire entirety of my life that I've known, like in school, I only know this academic Arturo. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I need to find myself outside of that. Cause I, part of this identity that I've constructed, especially like these last like five years is on academic validation. And I shouldn't be doing that. Well, not all of it, but majority of it. Cause I like, that's what I'm surrounded by. And I, I just had to move away from that. But it's also to the fact that taking into consideration that there are external factors that construct this identity because it's like, oh, you're going to college and you're not going to any, just any college. You're going to like Emory. You're going to a STEM school. So you have to be a doctor. You have to be an engineer. Mm-hmm. And I think like that's dangerous when you're, I get it from like my family where it's like they're feeding me into this identity or they're constructing an identity for me where it's like, no love like why are we doing this and i think it's honestly just choosing self-peace you know like at the end of the day be who you are know your boundaries drink your water mind your business send your boundaries <laughs> and everything's gonna play out through um, your affirmations no literally affirmations are also key bro journal i hope those answer like all your questions like from upperclassmen to for to a first year you and other first years okay so um just wanted to acknowledge that it's National First Gen Week. Woo! <laughs> Shout out to all the first gens out there. Your struggles are real and your successes are ours. <laughs> Period. Um, and I, yeah, I think we can just conclude this podcast right here and then there. Does anyone have like any other questions, discussions that wasn't said and would like to be said? Nah? Okay. We love empowering first. Shout out Empowering First. And then shout out to a success. This is going to be a successful season for Empowering First Voices. Shout out Arturo for inviting us. <laughs> no, for Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you for coming. Really appreciate it. it. Honestly, this would not have been anything without you guys. So I really appreciate you guys. Yay. Yay. Yay.